everyone. I'm Britta Wedeling, and this is the Bits and Pretzels podcast. Today, I have a very special guest for you. Maria Ressa is the co-founder and CEO of Rapla. Maria is one of the most highly regarded journalists in the Philippines and a true role model in courage and integrity. She spent two decades working as an investigative reporter and foreign correspondent and served as bureau chief for CNN before she started Rapla. Repla made news in 2016 when it spotlighted the dealings of the troll army of Rodrigo Duterte, the president of the Philippines. The website chronicled the spread of fake news on Facebook to manipulate the public about Duterte's presidency. Her findings made Maria one of the most outspoken critics of Facebook. Facebook and other social media platforms are the enablers of the rise of authoritarian populist leaders. Globally. Maria's fight against fake news and for freedom of the press has earned her global recognition. She was among the journalists named Time Person of the Year 2018. But it also made President Duterte a very powerful enemy. Maria has been to jail several times. She and her team have been threatened with rape and death. I met her during a tech conference here in Munich. On stage, she detailed the systemic proliferation of fake news on Facebook and the horrific effect on society. Afterwards, she received minutes of standing ovations, which does not happen very often at business events. Her story, bravery and energy is so impressive that I couldn't help but get goosebumps during our conversation. In our Beer Garden Talk, a new concept that we've introduced for our podcast, Maria shares how she runs her startup under these very harsh conditions. In our either-or game, she explains that you sometimes have to take risks if you want to grow. In the Philippines, her reports on human rights violations and the rising death toll at the hands of President Rodrigo Duarte's government have already earned her eight lawsuits and the constant threat of prison. But as she tells us, she will never back off. Maria, thanks for coming on the Bits and Pretzels podcast. Thanks for having me. And I think in your case, it's not doing small talk to ask you, how are you? Uh, I rationalize all this by, you know, how I got through the, the time, the first time I was arrested. I got through it by just being calm and then thinking, I need to just write this down. I need to chronicle it. And the second time I was angrier because I was met with SWAT police, you know, seven of them in a police van. And I saw this picture online. Yeah. And I was angry because mm -hmm. one of the police officers held my head and pushed. And I, I almost, wow. you know, anyway, so <laughs> I won't relive my anger, but I guess. Uh, so how do you live with this? I mean... I think many people ask themselves, how do you keep doing this? How do you, you have like, I don't know, anger management classes or I don't know, like, like somebody who helps you getting through all of this. I think I'm only just realizing that I'm really angry now because I've spent three years in the last two years in order to think clearly, you stifle your emotions. I'm good at compartmentalizing. And I guess now I have to deal with how I feel about it. Um, I think that the threat of jail, I never really thought it could happen. And 
last year was the first time my lawyers actually said, look, you could go to jail for up to 83 years. First, it was 63. Then it add, they added another 20 years. Right? Wow. So I could go to jail for eight, a maximum of 83 years. Wow. And the verdicts are coming. And the court cases are the fastest that have happened in the Philippines. My, my uh, lawyer for the cyber libel case, which is the first one I was arrested is on. Is this Amal Cloney? So Amal was the one who counted how many years I could go to jail. Uh, but the, my lawyer for the cyber libel case is the former spokesman of the Supreme Court in the Philippines. And he said he has never seen a trial move as fast as our trial. We expect a verdict in this by the first quarter. And if I'm convicted in that one, I could go to jail for 12 years um, and I would be convicted. So it's a whole other time. It's a it's an it's another intensification of a situation that I never thought was real. And I don't think I ever really had a chance or a choice to do anything other than what I'm doing, which is to stand up against it. Because I always, you know, it's, it was so wrong. Um, so I guess what I'm, why do I keep doing it? Because we hold the line because we have to stand up when our rights are being violated because I want to make sure that Rappler continues doing investigative stories that holds the powerful to account even when they use their power to strike us down. I mean, you have like American and Philippine citizenship. I do. Why not just go back to the, to the States? It could be much easier, like from an outsider's perspective, I guess. Um, that's what Amal asked me, you know, and uh, the reason why I don't is because I, look, I come from different worlds. I think all of us, it, it, I'm both American and I'm Filipino. And I decided what, that when I turned 40 years old, I was going to choose a home. When I turned 40, I chose the Philippines and I decided I was going to retire I, and I embraced, I became, a, I became a Filipino citizen again. I, I thought I was old enough to have real experience, but young enough to want to do something different and help the society that I want to retire in. Um, This was how many years ago? I turned 40. So I'm 56 now. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm old okay. now. Okay. Wow. Right? So it's, my gosh, it's six, is it 16 years ago? Absolutely. Holy yeah. cow. Yeah. So that's when I chose the Philippines. And right. now I guess I'm paying the price. I'm going to knock on wood, but I'm told I shouldn't knock. <laughs> <laughs> One of your main endeavors is data analytics. And you have actually developed a series of impressive graphs showing just how massively disinformation is prevailed in the net and how easy it is is spreading and one of the key messages is that lies just need to be repeated often enough to become facts yeah I explain that please so it's the same way that data on an excel sheet becomes very different when it when you get big data right so quantity changes fundamentally what it is you're dealing with, right? Big data allows you to see patterns and trends from God's eye view, right? Social media now allows lies. So we tell a lie one time, you're still okay, right? Because you can, there's that You can quote, see the outside world. Well, you tell a lie once, somebody can think about it and decide whether the lie is true. But if you say the lie a hundred times and you hear it from a hundred different people, or a thousand, or a million. You can say it so many times, 
you begin to believe it's true. And all the studies have shown that. And it is so easy to pound something a million times. So this is what's, I think, what has fundamentally changed is that lies laced with anger and hate spread faster than facts, right? So you, you pound the lie a million times, you create an alternative reality, and it spreads faster than the facts. And you can actually do this through software, algorithms, AI, which makes it much more easier to distribute and spread we haven't even, bots. Well, we right? haven't even gone to AI yet in the Philippines, I think, right? Um, bots aren't used as often as they are in the West. What happens in the Philippines and Facebook's own internal records and their public disclosures actually say that the Philippines has a higher than normal average of fake accounts. Labor is cheap. This is where the Global South comes in. If you look at like Hotmail and the days of Hotmail when they were dealing with spam, they were being produced in the Philippines, right? We were the call. We're now the number one call center capital in the world. So labor is cheap. So it's fake accounts. So these fake accounts will do will pound a lie, and then it. You, you're familiar with the phrase called astroturfing. They astroturf. Can it. you explain that to so the audience? Astroturfing is fake grass, right? And when you astroturf bottom up on social media, that astroturfing creates a bandwagon effect. Makes people think, let's just say the, the sky is blue. I say that, I astroturf it a million times, and people start to think the sky is blue, right? These are it plays to the worst of human nature. You started as a Facebook page in the Philippines and now you are kind of the, one of the most outspoken critics of it. So where do you see Facebook's role in this? And do you think they do enough against, you know, the spreading of misinformation? Facebook and other social media platforms are the enablers of the rise of authoritarian populist leaders globally. This is, propaganda has always been there through history. But what's changed is that technology allows propaganda to pound a million times. It erases facts. If you don't have facts, you can't have truth. Without truth, you can't have trust. Those are the foundations of democracy. Democracy as we know it is dead. So once you have this information ecosystem where the lies are the roots, how can you have civic engagement? So what's Facebook's role? It's done very little. It should be doing more. Um, we've heard in this conference now exactly why the, the lure of money is strong, but the very design of the technology that we are, we are walking into is meant to manipulate us. That's the wrong word. It is meant to keep us on site so it uses the human behavior. It's essentially a behavioral modification system. And we're Pavlov's dogs walking into it. Uh, and it's successful at this, right? This discussion around, you know, social networks and apps on your phone making people addictive. And I think Tristan Harris is somebody who talks uh, for, about this for a while yep. now. It's around for... I would say at least two and a half years since the last American election that brought Donald Trump yep. to, to the White House. 
Why has nothing really changed yet? The incentives aren't there, right? The incentives to protect users. Look, 2015 was when Facebook brought instant articles out, right? They And they invited all news groups all around the world. By 2016, Facebook was the world's largest distributor of news, of news. And yet the algorithms that underlined Facebook are the same ones that shows you gossip that spreads lies, half lies, that spreads anger. And when you put facts in that mix, that's it took only a few months. And then we had the dominoes start falling in 2016. And I would say that the first time we saw it was the election of Duterte in May 2016. A month later was Brexit. And then you have all the way down to Trump's elections, the Catalonia elections, right? And the dominoes fell. People were still in denial, right? At the end of 2016, Mark Zuckerberg said, no, there's no way that could have happened. I met him in April of 2017, and I told him how powerful Facebook was in the Philippines. Free basics is the reason why it's free right it's a it's actually a program it's it's a i think it's an is an operating system that people can use uh for free yes. such to say yes. but it's basically a way to get them on the service and on the platform what i wanted to come to and which i think is very special for you and your work as a journalist because you know you go back like for a long time as working as a journalist at cnn and now you started a news website is that you can make these um, these facts based on your own data analytics. Yes. So talk yes. about how you did this and how you actually realized based on facts and analytics that this was happening in, in the Philippines, this massive spreading of fake news. So I think I was at a unique junction. Uh, I was running a company, a startup, that was based on journalists embracing technology, right? Social media in a year and a half. In our first year and a half, Rappler became the third top online news site because we embraced Facebook. We were essentially alpha partners with Facebook. And then the third one is I also was in charge of our technology. So sales, journalism, and technology, money and tech, and running the business, right? And so having to have these three views made me realize that when we first built Rappler, social media was extremely different. And part of the reason Facebook is is so popular in the Philippines is also because Rappler asked Filipinos to join Facebook. We believed in social media for social good. We ran workshops for students to do that, right? We helped organize uh, because civic engagement was potent. And the Philippines is the third most disaster-prone country around the world. And we organized relief operations all on social media. So when Facebook did that safe, that you're safe, that was partly because of the work that we did together. I don't know if you remember Typhoon Haiyan in 2013. Super Typhoon, world's largest at that point. Um, uh, Facebook and Google actually sent engineers 
to Little Rappler. We had just started in 2012. But what we did is we had a satellite phone in the area where the super typhoon hit. And we were uploading photos. Facebook had a facial recognition system. Google had the had was just taking names. And we the engineers from these companies built something so that our photos uh would be on Facebook's platform, but would simultaneously be going on Google, right? It was, we believed technology could jumpstart development and disaster risk reduction. So I saw only the best at the beginning. And then in 2015, after instant articles, we were one of four that Facebook asked to join. We were the first. I threw all of Rappler inside instant articles just to do a benchmark. How how are we going to perform? I pulled it out a few months later because it didn't perform as well as video, right? Now we know that the numbers for video were actually wrong and were overly inflated. But you see how this social media platform had immense impact on news groups all around the world. Right. So what happened was by the time... By the time 2016 rolled around and behavior began to change, during the campaigns, we began to see anger coming out, right? But that was partly the anger of the candidate. Um, Trump and Duterte are similar, have similar characteristics. They're sexist at best, misogynistic at worst, right? Um, Duterte, if you if you look at it this way, he's been mayor on and off of Davao City since 1988, so he actually had experience. Anyway, in 2016, since we lived on social media, we began to see the changes, felt it firsthand. Um, we did, uh, in April of 2016, April, we did an editorial that talked about warned against the mob, the rise of the mob, right? And so when the attacks began in July of 2016, which is after Duterte became president, the rise of the drug war, that was when it began. The first people attacked were anyone who questioned the drug war, journalists. The drug war was actually an initiative initiated by Duterte. Yes, and he decided to basically kill people this that was were his on campaign. drugs, right? Yeah, yeah, essentially. And he basically, you know, Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, they call this a war against the poor. And the number of people killed, they're in the tens of thousands. So uh, in 2016, we saw that. So we demanded an end to the impunity. An average of at least 30 people killed every night. I had one reporter assigned to it and Every night in July, my reporter and cameraman would come home and they would have video of at least eight dead bodies, one person. So it was horrific. We knew something horrific was going on. That was in July. By August, we began a campaign called hashtag no place for hate because we began to see hate speech stifling other people's freedom of speech, right? So they would come in and they would attack a reporter or they would attack Rappler. They would fill it so that everyone everyone else stays quiet. So this is a point when free speech is being used to silence free speech. And then the third wave that we saw was inciting to hate, right? And in... By October, so in August of 2016, I went to Facebook and showed them the data. 
We looked at 26 fake accounts, a sock puppet network, and manually counted how many other accounts those social media, those Facebook accounts could influence. 26 fake accounts influence at least 3 million other accounts. 26 to 3 million. In the French elections, soon after that, they took down 30,000 fake accounts. Right. So this is this was becoming really alarming to me at that point. So I gave Facebook the data and then I waited because we're partners. Right. So I waited. I waited August, September. Then when I didn't hear anything, I said, we're coming out with the story. You have until the end of September. We came out with the story in October. Three part series right after the last. Actually, when the first one was published, we began to get pounded on social media because we exposed it. We, the first was called the propaganda war. Um, like like the pounded, like getting hate mail, getting death threats, rape threats. You you talked about this publicly as well. Yeah, an average of 90 hate messages per hour. Wow. And our social media team, I mean, it was so vicious that I had to send, I had a very young social media team. I had to send our team to get counseling. And I also then realized, oh my God, no one is, our counselors in the Philippines weren't prepared for exponential attacks on social media. Wow. So it was all new. We began writing about it. And then I thought, how do I, f- it took me two weeks because my first response was when I was getting pounded, I was like, maybe we're wrong. So I went back over all the data that I used. We were right. And then I said, how do I, how do we move forward? You have to know what reality is. You have to know the facts. Where will the facts come from? The data. So we began to chronicle disinformation networks and we began a database. We called it the Shark Tank. And that database is now more than a terabyte in, in, in scope. It is essentially the information ecosystem of the Philippines. We can tell you how disinformation. So we were one of Facebook's two fact-checking partners, two Filipino fact-checking partners. Um, once we say, we show you that something is a lie, we don't stop with the content. We then look at the network that spreads the lie because they're like terrorist networks. And when we do that, then we can map the cascade of information. It's horrific. (laughs) You mentioned the attacks, these threats, rape threats, um, you know, being thrown in threats, being thrown in jail all the time. How do you build a business which is also your job as a CEO of Rapla in these kind of hard conditions. It's trial and error at the beginning, right? Um, after I got attacked, because the two, we, this we came out with a the propaganda war series was three parts. I wrote two of the three parts, and our managing editor at that point, when I started getting attacked, actually said, "Maria, maybe you shouldn't be writing the stories on this because if you write it, the entire company gets attacked," which is correct, right? So for a while, I actually stopped writing stories on on what has now become one of our main points of focus, right? It makes you doubt yourself. It makes you step back. That's what it was meant to do. And when we realized that and we had the data, I came back punching because 
The key part is not to let this impact your work. But here's the other part the data showed us. It showed that women were attacked far more than men, at least 10 times more than men in the Philippines. And again, there's a sexualized attack against women that men don't have to go through. So even this, there's a gender um, part, a gender factor in this. Uh, How do I deal with it? It's like dealing with pollution. At a certain point, once we knew what was happening, the first part is being aware of what exactly is happening. That's what the data showed us. Once I knew what that was, then you figure out, all right, if I'm going to take this path, how am I going to make sure that our business survives? And I think what made Rappler different is that the journalists have both editorial and economic power. We have a shareholders agreement where that's been handed to us. And so when the government began attacking us and then the law, the legal cases, so the weaponization of social media was first, then the weaponization of the law. When that happened, we kind of just looked at each other and we said, we're going to continue doing what we're doing. And then the next challenge was by the the President Duterte attacked us in his State of the Nation address in July of 2017. We had a week later the first subpoena. Five months later, the government tries to shut us down by revoking our business license. And we sat soon after that, a case a month is what the government did. By April of 2018, our advertising dropped almost 50%. So... I got my sales team, our sales, social media, our tech. We then came together and said, we're going to have to create a new business. And what is that? And it has to be not advertising. So in a strange way, we were able to create another business that focuses on data and technology, the expertise we developed by looking at disinformation networks. Because guess what? When the government doesn't hire them, they freelance and attack companies. So it becomes the expertise you build as journalists now has become a way that we not only survive, but in 2019, we actually made a little money, which we're giving back to our people. So what we've learned is that telling the truth, standing up against abuse of power, standing up against lies, the mission of journalism, this is good business. This was all pretty hard stuff we talked about. And now we are moving over to our Bavarian beer bank. I give you this beer stein. It's actually our bits and pretzels. The founder's and Cool. And uh, so we will pour a little beer here today. <laughs> so we try to talk a little bit about the sunny things of uh, of Bavaria. And since we are in Munich here, we want to switch to our beer bank. And so now we're sitting here and we have cheers. to say cheers. 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 Prost. <laughs> Get a little zip. Is there ever a time you are drinking beer? I think I drink a lot more now than I did before all of this began. <laughs> I mean... And we joke about this. It is long. I mean, we've been under attack for three years, right? The the social media attacks began in 2016. The government began attacking us in 2017. 
They arrested me in 2019, right? After filing cases in 2018. So it's a long time. And then I think with the four founders, there are four founders in Rapper. What we've learned to do is to trust each other. That we know. I don't think if I was, if I was alone, it would be much, much harder. I don't think it would have been possible to do this alone. But among the four of us, we've learned that, you know what? You stand up for who you are. And then at the end of the day, you go and get drinks. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you still have fun from time to time? Or how much fun do you have? You know, you'd be surprised. I mean, the, there's a film that has captured, a film crew has been following us for a year and a half. And one of the things they said they couldn't figure out was why we were laughing at the worst of times. You know, they captured one conversation, which was when we thought that I could be arrested the next day. And the irony is that we're four women, right? So the founders of Rappler are women. Rappler is about 100 people. Uh, The median age is 23 years old. uh, And it is 63% women. Not by choice. It's very self-selective. But the four women of Rappler, it's funny. It's we have each other's backs. And at the worst of times, we actually take care of each other. So uh, one of the scenes in in the film is uh, our managing editor saying something like, no, 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 no. We can all go to jail. Maria can't. (laughs) They were, I mean, I don't know. I love Rapplers. Uh, it's hard to to tell you why it is inspirational because it really is. It's inspirational to work with this group of people. But yes, we have a lot of fun. Sorry, long-winded way of saying this, right? When the older folks get too tired, we get our energy from our our 20-somethings, the smartest 20-somethings we could find when we founded Rappler, right? Uh, And if you look at it, Pia Renada, our reporter at the palace, was the one who had to physically stand up against President Duterte because President Duterte tried to bully her. Um, the courage of our, uh, our our reporters, along with other reporters from news groups, actually filed a case at the Supreme Court challenging the government. So I feel like inspire courage. It inspires courage. Did you ever go to Oktoberfest? Oh my gosh, no. Sorry, I can't help it. I'm so I'm so focused on this stuff. Yes, there Oktoberfest actually happens in the Philippines. Um, but not you know, I think there was one day and I was in Munich at the tail end of it, but I didn't actually make it there. I worked too hard. But <laughs> why? So yes, I will shut up. <laughs> How does your private life look like outside Rapline? What do you do if you're not working on your next story? The last three years really demolishes a private life. I mean, look, the other part that actually worked well was because uh, I don't, I mean, journalism has been my life. And that's part of the reason I couldn't have done anything else but what I did. I couldn't have reacted in any other way. Uh, Every major story my journalism ruled my life uh, in which case right now I don't have kids to worry about right Matt, that sounds really bad <laughs> no um, not at all I, I, no. my vulnerabilities are very contained because my family can I can ask my parents to go back to the United States um, 
I don't have kids to worry about, which, in which case I'm a stronger target, if that makes sense, right? But, but what do you do if you're not sitting on a story? Do you, I don't know, do you hike? So I'm a big hiker, for example. Do, 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 do you hike or do you, I don't know, run or bicycle? Do you do yoga? What, what are you doing? Or In the last three years, we really live and breathe Rappler. Rappler has demanded 150% of our thoughts and our energies because look at this, right? I have eight legal cases. Uh, are the, the end goal of this is to bleed us dry, I think, right? They, the government wanted us to go bankrupt. That didn't happen. But if I'm not dealing with lawyers and I have a whole slew of lawyers, not just in the Philippines, but in the United States and in London, uh, if, we don't de if I'm not dealing with lawyers, I'm trying to do stories. Terrorism used to be my beat. I still want to do those stories. Now disinformation is a whole new a whole new way to tell the story of what's happening to us. Behavioral modification systems, right? Um, so no, I'm, I'm, this sounds really, really bad, doesn't it? I travel a lot because I do these, the way we survive is by shining the light. Um, all of it to say, I guess my life is kind of boring right now because this battle has taken everything. Wow. Not many people would say that in your situation, actually. <laughs> what, what do you admire? I've, I've, I've been reading about you. So what do you admire in Mr. Spock from, from Star Trek? Rational, logical, uh, the ability to make a calm choice. What makes you optimistic about the future? I vacillate back and forth all the time, but Part of it is I see my team. The younger reporters in Rappler, I know we are building the next generation and it is in good hands. The second is I think our information ecosystem globally has been destroyed. It's the first part of creative destruction and now we have to actively create what it is going to become. And it was destroyed by technology. Journalists, we lost our gatekeeping powers, but I think the future is going to be built by a combination of journalism and technology because what technology is missing are values, standards, and ethics, right? And you can't actually drill it down to like make a list of these are how you are going to make decisions because the world is complex. Truth is complex and nuanced and making these decisions requires standards and ethics, right? values. So it goes back to that. Um, it's exciting in a weird way. I'm optimistic I'll survive it. Hopefully I won't go to jail and I will knock on wood. Um, but if I do, 2018, I actually had to embrace, embrace that I could go to jail. And, and this is what I would say. You have how, to, how do you do that? I mean, how do you embrace to go to jail? Embrace your fear. It's one of the lessons I learned when I was reporting in conflict areas, right? I knew that whatever it is I'm most afraid of, you have to touch it, hold it, and embrace it. Because the minute you do that, then you prepare. You're prepared. So when I was younger in, in school, whatever I'm afraid of, I will try to touch and imagine how I will deal with it. In, in conflict reporting, you have to like, be prepared. You have to have your exit plan. If you, this happens, you have to go here. And 
because I was a team leader, uh, I just, I knew if I wasn't prepared, my team will suffer. Um, how do I deal with it? By putting plans in place. I expect the worst and hope for the best. So let's go to your special place as a founder of the company, which is the place where this all started. Actually, that for, that happened in a restaurant that was across the street from our the television network. So when, in this restaurant, so were you like we were having food. wine, wine? Okay, <laughs> but, but okay. The, the, why did we? Because we knew we were missing something. We knew that the traditional, the legacy media was not factoring in technology. And that if we, I didn't want to stay because I didn't want to focus on making money. I'd already been in the network for six years. I had instituted the changes. We had built a new culture. Um, and then the only thing left for me then would have been to like hit the P&L and keep growing it. Not interested. And I, we felt something big was happening in on the internet. But, you know, like most traditional news groups, you kind of put your third string on the internet at that point, right? Either too young or not good enough to go into primetime news. You put your best people in primetime news. So I wanted to get out of that old world. And uh, it was, uh, and the, we all decided to just take a leap. Mm -hmm. everybody left at different times. I went and I was the first to resign and I went to Singapore because it would have been really hard to stay in the country where I couldn't say a thing. <laughs> uh, and I wrote a book. Um, that was when I wrote From Bin Laden to Facebook, which was the, uh, From Bin Laden to Facebook really was the foundation of the ideas for Rappler. Social network theory. And, you know, it was looking at... When I was a reporter, I would look at how terrorism spreads through social networks, families and friends. Social media are just your families and friends on steroids without boundaries of time and space. So the whole idea, if terrorists can use this for evil, why could we not use it for good? And that was the concept for Rappler. Rappler builds communities of action. Did you have a business plan in place? Yes, three years. That's what. That's one thing ABS-CBN taught me. I could do. You know, we had five-year plans, but I definitely uh, PNL. That's three years because the technology was changing so fast that we learned that you you have to keep changing the back end in in traditional news groups, like in CNN. It took us five years to change the operating system, right? Now, Now, in Rappler, we had to keep changing it every six months. Where did you get the money from? So I, so again, 40 years old, like we were in our 40s. We were old enough to actually have made decent. I, I had decent money. <laughs> and um, we started Rappler with seed fund from ourselves. And we raised the money to be able to, to kick it off. You know, and I figured... Basically bootstrapping it. It was bootstrapping, but in our first year, it was the other way. It was pump priming, right? Because we realized that we we're coming in at a really good time and we wanted to grow the hockey stick growth, right? We were growing 100% to 300% year on year wow. in both reach and revenue. Right. Imagine a little team of 12 people can beat the 1,000 group 
you know, strong news group. It was insane. How many but people that was are our you, goal. Sorry. How, how many people are you today? I capped it at about 100. I did. And I made every manager. So we essentially took out mid-level managers. And I didn't, there's something called Dunbar's number, which is 150, right? It's, if it's over that, then you have to really put in your administrative mid-level Because managers. you don't know anybody by name anymore, right? I think that's a pretty good number. It, it's also, I felt like we split it up. If it's too many people, the ball drops. What we learned is if you have good, strong people, my, I always say one Rappler's worth 10 traditional TV journalists, but I won't say that. Um, but Just said is, it. I know. Just said it. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> no, but, but really, I think that was part of why Rappler was also good for the news system, news ecosystem of the Philippines. Because... Television reporters, at that point, they were still using the big cameras, right? And then we popped up in 2012 with our phones. And at that point, we actually made our tripods and we made casings for it. And they, we were just faster. They were laughing at our reporters who were shooting their stand-ups and then transmitting it. But then when they shot their stand-ups, they would have to take the tape and then go to the go to the studio, edit this. By that time, you were on so already far ahead, right? So there was a love-hate relationship, especially since I used to head the largest television network, right? So it was great fun in 2012. That is the the feeling of disruption, right? But then beyond that, you it's extremely humbling because when I was, imagine the ego of the head of the news group. I think you get used to the trappings of power and that's some of the stuff you have to eject when you're starting your own company and the technology is changing so fast and you embrace that it will change really fast and maybe you will feel like you're in, on solid ground for just a few days and then you'll have to change it again. Um, it makes you extremely humble. And then you realize exactly what you don't know and you, again, embrace that, right? Coming to the last part of our interview, our either or game. And this is how it works. I give you two words okay. and you have to choose one and explain real quick Why you choose okay. that word? Bits or pretzels? Pretzels. Because uh, it goes with beer. <laughs> Writing or talking? Talking. Television. War or peace? Peace. Because universal peace, right? That's the right answer to every beauty contest. <laughs> But you don't really believe that? No, I mean, of course I do. I mean... But look at human nature. Conflict motivates, right? For better or for worse. So you need both. You need a feel of security and peace. But at the same time, that's not going to necessarily be enough to motivate. So it's a tough thing. But if you give me a choice between war or peace, of course I will choose peace. Captain Kirk or Mr. Spock? Depends on what's happening Because there are times that I want to be Mr. Spock, calm and rational and thoughtful. But then if you're not, if you don't have Mr. 
if you don't have Captain Kirk, then you don't have the empathy and the instinctive emotional reaction. So I guess the right, the connection to there is left brain, right brain, right? I want to attack every problem like uh, with, with both left brain, right brain. Nerd or extrovert? I'm really a nerd. Nerd. Because the world is run by nerds. <laughs> Risk or safety? Depends. <laughs> uh, risk or safety? Risk. If you're not risking something, you're not growing. Stability or change? Change. Constant. Because that's how you grow. Challenge or comfort? Challenge. Isn't that crazy? Challenge. Because that's how you grow. <laughs> Numbers or ideas? Ooh, that's... Numbers and ideas are together. Why do I have to make a choice? Um, ideas. Uh, ideas move the world. Work or fun? Work is fun. <laughs> Why do I have to make a choice? <laughs> Lead or follow? Ooh, I'm a good follower. Depends. Um, depends on what it is. But I've... Hmm, lead or follow? Lead, I guess. I choose lead because I'm a better leader than a follower. Especially if I don't believe in the leader. <laughs> um, but it depends. I would love to follow. I'd love to follow somebody who who knows where they're going, right? The reason I became a noose manager was because I hated my noose managers. I mean, I don't want to be a manager. I want to be a reporter. But I also think news groups should be run a certain way, right? And so that's how I, all of our, the founders of Rappler were good reporters. We want to be reporters, but we want to work for somebody who understands reporters. Roots or revenue? Ooh, why is that a choice? <laughs> you need both. Roots or revenue? Oh my gosh. Depends. Uh, Rappler has both. <laughs> Tradition. Look, you can't be independent if you don't have revenue. That's really the other part. Tradition or transition? Transition. Because um, tra tradition is like stability. It can stagnate. Um, transition is a constant being. Every moment changes. Conquer or compromise? Oh, my God. Tough. Depends. I'm actually a peacemaker. <laughs> But if it's really bad, like the thing with Facebook right now, <laughs> no, I, I can't. It depends. You have to give me a, you know, why I would have to choice each one. I think different times require different reactions. Um, there are times, the world always demands compromise. But there are times you cannot compromise. For me, this is one of those times. Will I conquer? Don't know. Don't even know if I'll survive. But I can't compromise. I have goosebumps right now. Why? <laughs> Thanks a lot, Maria, for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. All right. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please subscribe. And of course, please tell your friends about us. And do give us a five-star rating. Write to us at podcast at bitsandpretzels.com to let us know how we are doing 
or if you want to suggest a guest to us. I'm Britta Vedling. See you next week.